I still think that you can picture, you can create that ideal client that you want to work with, even if the evidence isn't there to suggest that that person is there, because in this digital world, that person will be there. I really believe that. When you get your messaging right and the positioning right, people tend to land in your inbox or, you know, they get straight on the call just to cross the T's and dot the I's. I think it is really important that you're showing, that you lead through your content, that you're educating, but actually shifting perspective. I think always speaking to the why is going to be really powerful. And that's when the right kind of people will notice you. Right now, like I've got a lot of content out there and I want to start attracting more of those kind of people. Where should I start? We've all been there, right? You get to the end of a project and it feels like a weight has just lifted off your shoulders. As much as it's great that there's money in the bank, you kind of wish that you'd never taken on that client. And you're getting pretty sick of having sales calls with people who are constantly challenging you on price or you're constantly having to pitch against other people. And I've been there myself. This used to happen to me all the time in my agency. And that was until I changed two things. Number one, how I positioned myself. And number two, how I was talking about my business and the kind of clients that I wanted to work with. And I got really, really strict on only working with ideal fit clients. And ever since then, my life and business has never been the same. And I'm lucky enough today to have a small group of clients that I love working with that get great results. And so in this episode, I'm going to be picking apart what you need to do if you want to attract your ideal clients consistently and predictably. I'm going to be talking to Anna Rumbold, who is an expert in marketing, messaging, and positioning. And I came across Anna on Instagram and and I just fell in love with her content. She has a way with words and she has a way to just talk to people and get them nodding along. And Anna regularly has clients that have their dream fit clients sending them messages saying, how do we work with you? So if you want that in your business, if you want a stream of clients that are ready to buy, but more importantly, that understand the value of what you do and see you as a creative partner, not just a worker, then this episode is for you. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the Creative Courage podcast. I would love to start by just giving people a quick overview of why attracting dream clients is so important. And I know that sounds obvious. Like, why would you not want dream clients? But in your experience, what happens when people take on the wrong fit clients? First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on. And I do love this question. I actually look at it from two perspectives. So the first is probably the more obvious one. We started businesses because we wanted to follow passions, because we wanted to do the kind of work that lights us up. And I really believe that in order to do that, we still need to be working with the right kind of people. So for me, that's such a huge one. We want to attract the kind of people who we actually look forward to working with. And then the second perspective is, of course, we have a business because we create results for people or we deliver something. But the people who 
I believe are going to create the best results are going to be the kind of clients that you really want to work with, the ones who show up in a certain way and the ones who you feel really aligned with. So both of those perspectives, I would say, are the kind of key reason why you want to focus on attracting those dream clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the things that people say to me when I push this message is that's all very well being able to like pick and choose your clients. But when you haven't got enough people knocking at your door or you haven't got enough opportunities, it's very difficult to say no. So is that something that you hear people saying as well to you? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that was probably one of the biggest challenges. And I think there's a huge part of self-trust that you've got to lean into. And I also think you've really got to be able to connect with how confident you are in delivering the outcome. Because I think the kind of clients who are going to create the best results, they want to have that confidence in you. So I think it does take a large amount of trust in yourself to be able to speak exclusively to that person. Okay, so let's talk about that. So before you started doing what you're doing now around coaching people and helping them to refine their message and attract the right kind of clients consistently without being salesy or without being pushy, you were running what I would term as a social media agency. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah, I was a social media manager. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so let's start first of all by what things have allowed you personally to trust yourself? Certain amount of trial and error. So I poured into my content. So that's where I started to attract people. And I had to kind of see the types of clients who were stepping forward to be able to even see who the clients were that were going to be a pleasure to work with. So certainly that trial and error allowed me to kind of build that trust, also collecting evidence. So start from that process, starting to see who was creating results, who really I enjoyed working with, and also the testimonials that were starting to come in that reaffirmed that process of, of trusting in myself and my offer. I also, ever since I started in business, I've always spent time clarifying and reconnecting with that specific outcome that I can help my clients to create. And I think that, again, feeds back into that trust. So you write from every step, it's not as easy as just attracting your dream clients immediately. You've got to do the work to even establish who that dream client is. So it's from the evidence that I've gathered over time that I've been able to actually establish who that person is. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's just break those two things down separately. So let's say that I'm a creative studio and I've got so far because I'm just good at what I do, but I've basically been saying yes to pretty much any projects that come my way. So if I look back over like the last two or three years, I've got a real array of clients in like different industries and I've never really taken time to drill down into that dream outcome like you talk about to be like, what do you actually want? It's mainly been, hey, we need this thing. We need a rebrand. It's like, great, I'm a branding, strategic branding professional. I'm going to help you with this thing. And it's been a very transactional conversation. Where would you start in that instance? How would you start helping someone like that to really nail down who they should be working with and who their kind of like ideal client is? I always do the kind of clarity inner work and then inform the content that you're going to put out there. So with the inner clarity work or inner authority work, I quite like to call it, because I think that's what we're really doing, establishing the kind of person who we can help, the kind of person who's going to create the best results. So really looking at that high level, what's possible as opposed to what's probable. And what I would do is actually really 
dig into, perhaps from some evidence of the types of clients who you might have enjoyed working with, but also even thinking about the person who you want to work with. That might not even be somebody that you've worked with before. But what I would do is really ask myself how this person shows up, how this person moves, how they invest, how they approach their problems, how they do everything, essentially, how they fit in with the way that we want to work. And as well as that, I would establish the person who I don't want to attract. So I would, again, think about how does this person move? It's probably going to be the polar opposite to the other person. But I think when you can get really specific around that, you can nail your offer positioning and your brand positioning. So you want to position all of your content, everything, all of your outward communications to this person who fits the bill of perfect client exclusively. And I think it's a lot of people miss out the positioning. You know, I think a lot of people get the messaging good. They speak to a transformation. They talk about how a client can create the results, but they don't position it to the person who perhaps is the type of person they actually want to work with. So as an example, something I often do is speak to the empowered client rather than the struggling client. And again, your example of a brand strategist who, from what you said, it sounds like they might have people who are quite urgent and they come to them saying, I I need this right now. If you wanted to take a step back and attract people who were doing this work as part of a bigger strategy and they didn't have that urgency to just get it out there. So that's the dream client. They wanted someone who values this work. They wanted someone who will take the time to communicate this brand to make sure that it's exactly what the client wants. I would position it to that person really specifically and use, rather than speaking to the struggles, so as an example, I know you don't have any time. I know that branding's a priority to you, but you just don't have the time. If you don't want to speak to the person who doesn't have time, you need to change that language. Rather than speaking to that busy person, you want to speak to the person who does have that time. You want to speak to the person who knows the value of this work. And I think that positioning piece is a real game changer. Mm, Yeah, I love that. There was a couple of things I heard there. The first one was, it could be your existing clients and it could be going back and looking at your existing clients and thinking, who out of these people were really a joy to work with and I really got a great impact with. But it might be that, unfortunately, that's few and far between. And so then it's about thinking outside of that and being aspirational to the kind of clients that you want to work with. So there's two kind of paths I want to take here. And I just want to, I suppose, shelve something for later in the conversation. The first bit I want to shelve is like how you get that information. So let's just make sure I come back to that because I know that's a massive challenge for people. It's like, I hear what you're saying, Anna, and I know there's a bunch of people up like listening to this right now who are nodding along going, yeah, I want those kind of clients. And I hear that all the time. I want the kind of clients that just get the value of what I do. They just understand the value of branding, animation, film, or whatever. They understand the value of having high production quality. They're not in a rush, et cetera, et cetera. Like I know that's the kind of clients people want. The next question is then how on earth do I position my message to, to kind of attract those people. So let's address that in a minute. But you said something before that, which I thought was interesting. And I just want to clarify what you meant, because you said the internal work and the kind of internal clarity piece. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. This is something I'm really big on with my clients. So we'll actually spend quite a lot of time doing this work. I would consider it foundational work. So 
I think if you get to a stage where you're just putting out a message that mirrors somebody else's because you're not really sure what your original stance is, you don't know what beliefs you lead on, you don't know why your clients choose you over anybody else, you don't know how you're actually helping your clients to create these results, it's going to be difficult for your audience to have that level of certainty in you. So I think that that inner authority work, inner work, clarifying work is fundamental if you want to create certainty with the right types of clients. So it's all about, for me, it's all about closing the gaps. So again, we think about clients buy from us because they're more certain than they are doubtful that they're going to be able to create a result. So we want to be as certain in our offers as what we want them to be. So that's what I mean by that inner work. And if I come to you and I'm like, Anna, I just feel really unconfident or really uncertain about my value, what I offer, all of this kind of stuff. Like, what's the first thing you typically do with a client like that? We work through a lot of questions. So whenever I have the first session with a client, we will establish all of these things by actually looking back at not just the work that they do with clients, but all of their work up to that point, even actually all of the milestones up to that point because I work with a lot of coaches some might be mindset coaches so it actually encompasses the bigger picture so we actually delve into all of those things and I then tend to pick out the things that I keep seeing patterns with or I keep seeing skill sets with or also what I do is ask my clients every single time a useful thing actually for anybody who's listening what underpins your client results and if you think about that if you look through your testimonials and pick out the commonalities you'll tend to see I don't think I've worked with a client yet where there hasn't been some kind of commonality between client testimonials there'll be something whether it's your approach whether it's the specific skill set that you have everybody has something that's a little bit unique and I think that's what we want to bring to the surface so I help my clients to bring that to the surface through lots of questions around their experiences their skill set what they want to be known for what underpins their clients results currently so it's really diving quite deep into those questions yeah absolutely and one of the things I, I know we've had a discussion about this before one of the things that we do is we actually kind of go back through their life and we look at what underpins the results they get for their clients but then also what are the things that happen in their life which maybe they don't see as directly related to their business and I know for a lot of creatives especially one of the things that I hear a lot is that they have almost created a persona for their clients and I know I did this right when I first ran my agency I thought I had the belief that I need needed to have some kind of professional persona to my clients in order for them to take me seriously and trust me but what that actually meant was it was like I was trying so hard to be this version of myself and appear in this way that I wasn't actually playing on my core strengths which were a part of who I am authentically and I can literally think of loads and loads of examples of clients that we've worked with in the past where you could see that in their personal life they were someone very different to who they were in their professional life and when we started to bring their personal things in to their business and to their story and to their messaging they started to attract not only great clients but also clients that aligned with their values and their beliefs and their morals and the way that they like to work. And so what do you see as being like the biggest barrier to people kind of opening up and being more authentic and bringing more of their personality and story into the way that they message and position themselves? 
I totally agree with everything you've said there. It's something I see a lot as well. I think the biggest barrier, I think there's two actually, it's either that idea that you should be a certain way. And I think we are moving away from that in the online space because I think people are starting to show up and show other people that they can do the same. But I still think there's a little bit of a barrier there with people wanting to appear a certain way. And especially actually in today's landscape, I think a lot of people want to be showing up as an authority and they want to try and be an authority rather than actually what I would consider stepping into their authority, which is stepping into the reason their clients come to them and the outcome they're most certain about delivering, as opposed to just stepping into this person with all of these opinions and the kind of person that they think they need to be in order to be that authority. I actually think another key barrier as well is overwhelm. And from what I've seen with my clients, and I can see this from my own perspective, we're all here today with tons of experience and tools under our belt, all these different experiences, skills, client experiences, and everything that has brought us to where we are today. I think it can be really hard to pick that back out. And I think it does require that outside perspective sometimes to actually help people to break down the result that they're really delivering for their client. And I think this is especially true for people who work with lots of different types of people within different niches. It's perhaps a little easier if you're really, really specific in your niche and you only work with not just the type of person, as I was mentioning earlier, how they approach things, how they show up, but in actually the industry and things like that. So I think that overwhelm can actually be quite a barrier because it then leads us to question ourselves, to second guess. And also we start to look at what others are doing. And that can sometimes mean that we're then putting out a diluted message that isn't really a true reflection of us. Mm, yeah, 100%. And so what would your advice be like if I'm in that space where, you know, obviously the what we're both say is get a coach, get somebody who can kind of reflect this back to you. But from a practical perspective, for somebody just listening to this, what are some steps that I can take if I'm that far on in my journey and I have so much stuff that I'm not really sure where to start picking things out and what things to kind of bring to the surface? Actually, one of the first things that I would probably do if you are the type of person who gets caught up with other people's content and messages and you feel like it's confusing you, it sounds like such an obvious one, but I would limit that time. And if you want to look at other people's content for inspiration, I would suggest putting it to a finite time. So on a Thursday at 1pm, I'm going to spend an hour looking for inspiration, but then I'm not going to look at other people's content if you feel like that's diluting your message. I would then really reconnect with the specific outcome that you're confident, you're really certain about delivering, like really get clear on what that is. And I know that that can be quite difficult because sometimes a transformation can be the next step or it can be five steps ahead. So for example, I might help somebody with their marketing, but that can help them to make money. But, you know, initially it's the marketing, then it's the money. So I think it's getting really confident in the steps to the transformation and reconnecting with how you help your clients or whether it's like a brand strategy, exactly how that's going to help them. Even if the bigger picture looks like the result that they're going to create, it's actually reverse engineering that and thinking about the, the whole transformation, but where you help them to get there. I think equally, you then need to look at why your clients come to you. And again, a combination of looking at the testimonials, but also through doing that exercise I mentioned earlier about reaffirming all of those experiences and everything and, and how they make you unique and actually highlighting your own uniqueness and asking that question, 
What does make me unique? What is the reason my clients are coming to me? I think as well, when you're doing that work as a test, I think if you can do your elevator pitch at the end of that, so if you can get really clear on why your clients come to you, when you're doing your elevator pitch, don't just think about the result that you deliver, but bring your approach into it. Bring the reason that people come to you for it. I think if you can nail that with ease, whenever anybody asks you, I think that's going to really help you to then craft messaging. From that work, I would actually then start picking out phrases that you can put into your content, put into anything that you're communicating out to your audience. So you'll probably find as you elevate, you know, you're finding those points of differences, you'll be able to elevate them. So for example, if I established myself, my approach is very much doing this like inner authority work, but then combining it with tangible needle moving marketing. So that's the point of difference that I really elevate in my content. So you'll start to pick out phrases that you can actually use by doing this inner work. Mm, Yeah, that's really important. Let's just come back to this idea of the dream outcome, because I know for a fact that a lot of creatives struggle with this, especially in spaces which they would maybe class as slightly intangible. So I'm thinking like branding, I'm thinking film, you know, a lot of these kind of creative services. When I say to people like, what is the thing you actually help clients create? Often people really draw a blank on that. Or they say, well, I know the thing they want is this, but I don't know how much influence I I have over that. So if I'm a creative studio, I know that people come to me because they want animations, but I'm really trying to attract the kind of person who maybe hasn't done a lot of animation before. And I know I can add a lot of value because they're kind of missing that gap. How do I get clear on what is the transformation I actually create and what is the dream outcome that I actually create for those clients? I still think with the transformation, although it's important to look at what you can do, I think you really need to put that back onto your ideal client as well. What do you want that transformation to look like? Mm. And ask them what, like I would ask them as well, what it actually looks like, get them to picture that because you want to be able to speak to that. You want to be able to paint a picture of that in your own messaging. So I know that isn't a real simple answer, but I, I think that's the only way we can really figure out what people want by actually asking them and and getting that gauge from our audience. And so if I'm in a place, like I mentioned earlier, where maybe I haven't got a huge amount of lead flow, haven't got people landing in my DMs, work feels like it's a little bit dry at the moment. And now all of a sudden, like you're saying to me, I need to ask these people, what's the best way that you found to get this kind of information? Is it through like sending surveys out, doing polls on LinkedIn, just asking people for a quick chat? Like what, what's kind of worked best for you and your clients to learn about people's desires and, and what the outcome looks like? Yeah, I think tuning into what you have available to you. So for me and a lot of my clients, it would be Instagram. And if a client of mine is putting out a new offer, they'll put it on their poll on stories. They'll put a poll on LinkedIn, like you say. I think Facebook groups can be a really good place to do research as well, because quite often people go to Facebook groups with a specific problem or a specific outcome that they desire. So I think if you go to those really specific Facebook groups around your niche in your industry, you might be able to find some useful advice there. I think you can do a little bit of work on Google and and look at keywords and things like that and trends. Also where you can speak to people, I've found useful information before at networking events. So I think wherever you can easily access these types of people within this industry, I think you'll be able to conduct some of that research. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really a really important point. You know, in business, that's often referred to as a route to market. You know, you can have a really great idea, but if you don't have a route to market, if you don't have a way to start conversations with people, then that can be the best idea in the world, but it's probably not going to fly. And I think a lot of people do have the access to the networks. They just haven't almost become aware of it. I think the challenge is often when people want to pivot slightly. So if we go back to this example of somebody who maybe has just said yes to any kind of work and you do that inner work with them and they're like, do you know what? Really, I want to work with sustainable wellness brands. And they're like, that's what really lights me up. And you're like, okay, cool. Now we need to kind of go down this route and positioning. And they just have like no idea how to start conversations or you know, even how to to get into that realm, that can often be quite challenging because then you're just literally reaching out to people cold. And so, like you said, I think it's really important for people to be aware. It's like, okay, the end goal might be organic wellness brands and, you know, everyone's happy and we're all sitting in a circle holding hands and, and it's all great. But like right now, what's your next step? What's the closest thing you've ever had to working with a sustainable brand? Like who's somebody in your network that you know right now who is trying to push sustainability a little bit more or a client who's just conscious of sustainability or how their business is impacting the environment or whatever? Like what's that next step? And then just go and kind of tap into that and start a conversation with that person and see where that goes. Is that kind of how you would approach it? Does that kind of resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And competitor research as well, I think will be really valuable there because you're probably looking at competitors who have done this research themselves. You'll see what direction you'll probably go in. So I think that can be really useful to do alongside that. I also do think, and I know that this sounds slightly contradictory, but I do think that if you can really clarify what makes you unique, and even if this is a pivot and something quite new, there'll be a reason, there'll be substance behind that mess you know you'll stand behind that message and why you want to do that i still think that you can picture you can create that ideal client that you want to work with even if the evidence isn't there to suggest that that person is there because in this digital world that person will be there i really believe that so i think you can do all of this together and that will help you to attract the right kind of person yeah that's a really interesting point and i'd love to dive down into that just a little bit more i know we kind of covered the outcome. And that's what I said I was going to going to shelve. And we've kind of just touched on that. But you just used some really interesting language there. You said that person will be out there. I really believe that. Tell me what you believe about finding your dream clients and charging what you really want to charge. Like what's your personal internal belief system about that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually. And I do go back to that evidence analogy quite often. You know, I create evidence and then this supports me in who I want to attract and what I want to charge. And of course, there is an element of market research that goes in there. But you're totally right. It is an inner belief system. And I think as well, I've approached this in quite a logical way as well. So as my clients have created results, that's reaffirmed my ability. So then I would probably increase my price according to that. So I don't think there's a, it's black and white. I think it is quite nuanced because I would definitely look at the market, but I would also have that belief in myself that this is my business and I get to put content out there that will attract this kind of person. And I get to price my services how I think they should be valued. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And let's just talk a little bit about that around the kind of I guess messaging, because I'm definitely guilty of this. And I know people in the creative space can be guilty of this because 
outcomes can often be a little bit fluffy or a little bit nebulous, you know, like, oh, we want to grow our brand. We want to have more brand awareness. We want to have this, we want to have that. And I know from the content that I've consumed of yours, that's kind of the antithesis of what you do. You are very specific. And the thing that I love, and one of the reasons why I reached out to you initially is every now and again, I'll come across someone who just articulates problems in a way that gets me nodding along and gets me swiping and gets me reading. So from your perspective, Anna, like what are the core elements of being able to articulate a message really clearly in a way that resonates with my ideal clients? It's something that I do get told quite often by people in my audience who say I've felt really seen in your content. And I believe the reason for that is that I speak to how the problem is affecting my ideal client. So as opposed to just saying, you don't know how to grow your brand or you're struggling to grow your brand, I speak to how these things affect them every day. So this could be around money, it could be around time, it could be all kinds of things relating to your specific audience. But I would speak to the how rather than the what. And I think that is what people will visualise, what people will resonate with. And equally, and I will share an example actually, painting a really specific picture of the outcome as well. So you've got the problem, but of course we want our clients, our potential clients to be able to visualise what the outcome could look like for them. Where a lot of people get stuck, in my opinion, is that they think, well, if I get too specific with this, it's not going to relate to everyone. I have a little bit of a different take on that because I think as long as it's not wildly different to where your ideal client might be, I think you can actually be really specific and still relate to a wider audience. So as an example, in my messaging, I could say something like, this work will help you to get more clients and make more money. You can't visualise that. You know, more of anything, you can't really visualise anyway. But if I said you want to wake up, jump out of bed, check your phone and you've had three new sales overnight and three new application forms, you put the kettle on and you put your feet up and chill out knowing that your content's bringing you sales, that one we can visualise. We can picture getting up, checking the phone, seeing new sales come in. That's the difference. And of course, this might be completely irrelevant to someone in a certain situation because you might use the same situation you go out for brunch with your friends while the sales come in you go to the beach for a walk while the sales come in I might not live near a beach but I can picture this so I actually think I would advise and encourage you not to worry too much about being too specific in case it doesn't relate because I think generally people will will relate to the feeling Mm, yeah so it's kind of what I've heard termed as experiential marketing, like you're really tapping into the experience someone has when they use that thing or do that thing. And it's to a point where it's descriptive enough where we can actually imagine it in our mind, right? And so is part of this just being able to get really good at putting yourself in your ideal client's shoes? Yeah, I think an element of it is definitely getting really good at putting yourself in your ideal client's shoes. And again, through that combination of market research, but then also gathering evidence when you start doing it. And that's where testing comes in to see what lands and then leaning into curiosity as well. So when something isn't working, asking yourself, what is it about that piece of content, for example, that didn't land and then drilling into that detail and then informing all the other pieces of content that you share. So I think the testing element is really important. And then I think as well, having that certainty that you can help them to create whatever that 
outcome looks like. I think if you're certain about that, then you will be able to describe it. I think if you're underconfident about that result that you can deliver, even if you're amazing at what you do, you're just underconfident with how you describe it. I think it's really important to, again, find evidence that you are good at it and you are capable of it. And that might actually be as simple as just mapping out what it looks like or looking at some client results or whatever that might be, but gathering that evidence to then be able to speak to the ultimate transformation. Mm. And if I'm unconfident and I can't find evidence because people have just been transactional, what would be another strategy? One thing that I would say there is that you've got some evidence because you've got evidence of the person who you don't necessarily want to attract. So I think you could take quite a lot of that and make assumptions. I do think that we can make assumptions as long as we're testing and seeing what does land and what doesn't land. Particularly with the positioning, we are assuming that our ideal client, the perfect fit, best client is going to come along and read this. So we're speaking directly to them. So I think if we know that this transactional person, if we delve into the detail of how that person shows up, how they even reach out, how they move, how they how they view the problem that they're experiencing, we can start to fill in the gaps and look at the opposite of that. That will probably help you to see who you want to attract and what that person looks like. Okay, cool. So you could literally just take a nightmare client and like describe everything that you hate about working with them. And then you could just flip that on its head. I really think so. Yeah. I I think this has definitely worked for some of my clients in the past where they've only worked, they, they might be quite new in business and they've only worked with people who they haven't enjoyed working with, but it's actually helped them to see what the person who they want to work with would look like. Mm, Okay, cool. And so in your opinion, Anna, like what's the difference between messaging and positioning? Because I hear people talk about this a lot and I hear you talk about it a lot and I'm never quite sure. Obviously the message is what you actually write, but like just give me some kind of high level ideas around the kind of difference between those two things. Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, the messaging is what's communicated. It's every word that is communicated. The positioning will be an element of your messaging. So actually, I quite like to call them positioning statements. So when a client of mine is really clear on who it is that they want to attract, we add positioning statements into their messaging. Positioning as well, I look at from two perspectives. And actually, anybody who works in branding, I'm sure will relate to this, but brand positioning is huge. And I'm actually of the belief that other people decide what our brand looks like, what it is, but we obviously put out there what it is that we believe about our brand, who we are. So I think that the brand positioning is one element, but then I think the offer positioning is the other element. And that's where we're speaking to that person who we specifically want to work with. Might call that the high level client, the best client, but that's where we're positioning our offer specifically to that person. So yeah, those positioning statements will form our messaging. But I think it's really important that we do use that positioning to inform the messaging and almost actually you're taking the messaging from broad to quite narrow. Mm, Okay. Yeah, this is something that a lot of people really resist, I think. And because like you said before, they, they feel like they're missing out on opportunities. And so if they're just talking to this one person, they're like, oh, you know, all these other opportunities I'm going to miss out on or these kind of clients aren't going to want to work with me or or even worse, like my current clients will see that messaging and they'll decide that they don't want to work with us anymore because all of a sudden we're not for them. Have you got any strategies or any kind of, I suppose, internal dialogues that you use in order to kind of overcome that fear? It's not easy to do. 
what I would do is personally, I would reflect on the fact that the clients who will create the best results are going to be the clients who show up a certain way. And I know that if I've got really great client testimonials to share, then I will attract more of this type of person and they'll be benefiting as well. So it's like a win-win. So I think if you remember that and you really dial in on that, then it will be a lot easier to think about, okay, I need to attract this person because if I continue to attract the wrong person who perhaps isn't getting the same result because they aren't communicating or whatever that might look like for your specific business, then you'll kind of stay at that level. But I think if you really want to move to the next level, it's really important that you do have that awareness and that you do start to speak specifically to that person. But what I think you'll find I call it speaking to the aspirational identity. That's part of positioning. But if you speak to that person, let's say monetary, because that's something that we can all relate to. If you were speaking to somebody who is making five figures a month, you will still attract people who are making four figures a month who aspire to be at that level. So I think in speaking to a really specific person, you will attract some other people who fall outside of that, but often they'll have the right approach and they'll show up in a certain way. So I think you're finding the right person more by how they show up and their personality, for example. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So can we do a quick exercise? Because I was talking to my coach about this earlier and he was talking to me about my positioning. And one of the conversations we had, and I think we see this a lot now in the online space, is everybody is promising the earth and everybody is like, you know, I don't know about you, but I see an ad on Instagram at least twice a day for, you know, six clients in the nine, next 90 days without sending any cold DMs or using any paid ads or hiring a VA guaranteed all your money back. How do we get specific about the outcome while still avoiding sounding like we're selling snake oil? I like everything I think so far. I look at it from a couple of different perspectives, but one of them, I think the message that you can get the most specific on is embodiment kind of content and client result content. So you could show up and say, I signed however many clients in 90 days, and this is how. And that's still going to be really persuasive marketing, but it's going to be hopefully from, you know, hopefully anybody who's doing that, it's going to be totally truthful. And equally with client results, how my client went from X to Y then you can really go into that specific level of detail. So I know that sounds like quite an obvious one, but if you have those content types, embodiment, where you're talking about perhaps your own results and client results, or you might just have one or the other if you're not in the kind of business where you would embody your message like that. If you have both of those, then you'll be able to get really specific. I also think that's why it's really important to get specific on what you are confident in delivering. So for example, it, it, taking my actually my business as an example, if I think that I help my clients with their messaging content and positioning, they can go on to sign more clients and make more money. But the bit that I can say with absolute confidence is that I will help you to get really clear on this messaging, this positioning and content. And of course, I can still talk about examples of the people who have taken that the next step and the step after. But if I really focus on the one thing that I know I can absolutely help them with, then I can be really confident in the way that I share that. And something else that I would really encourage people to think about is how they can talk about this result as an opinion. So for example, I would say something like, if you combine the inner authority work with the needle mover marketing, this will get you quicker 
to high cash months than any strategy alone will. So that's like an opinion that I've formed around this work. Mm. I'm not saying I mm. will get you to high cash months quicker than any strategy alone will. I'm saying that this work will. So it's kind of, it's moving things. It's all in semantics and language, but I think those are the ways that I would look at that because I think that is a common thing that people find is that they don't want to guarantee anything but I don't think you have to guarantee anything if you're really clear on the specific thing you can help them with and you use the evidence that you already have to share what it could look like for your audience yeah absolutely so just before we dive into this because I basically want to pick your brains for free (laughs) I'm just thinking about some clients that we've got and I know that one of the biggest things that they struggle with is they just don't follow up after a project so they'll go and do this incredible brand refresh or whatever client will be super happy with it and then that's it and then they just stop and so I think when it comes to this messaging they don't feel confident saying like you know a a brand refresh can do x y and z because they actually have no idea because they've never actually gone and asked those questions so what's your process for I guess following up and like how can people in that position start to do exactly what you just said where you're linking the vehicle i.e branding to the outcome i think if you have a good process for collecting feedback i think that could be really helpful because you can ask really specific questions there that will tease out the information that you're looking for so i think having a, a well well put together feedback form will be really important but are you saying that the work wasn't perhaps taken where it where it could have been yeah there's two scenarios i think there's work that isn't taken isn't taken where it could have been so like i create this amazing work but then the brand guidelines never get used or the video gets put up once on social media and then nothing else so there's like option a but then option b is sometimes there's longevity or there's a delay, should I say, between delivering the work and seeing the result. And so over the next six to 12 months, that person might do the brand refresh and then might get featured in a magazine or they might sign two high ticket clients. A, I might not know about that because I'm not following up. But B, I'm not maybe asking the questions directly to the client, like how much of this feature in this would you attribute to the brand refresh? Or how much of being able to sign this client would you actually, and actually having that in their words, because then I have something really tangible to be like, we worked with this client on a brand refresh and they attributed the majority of their feature in the times as part of this new brand refresh or their confidence or ability to go and close those high ticket clients that they couldn't do before or whatever. Does that make sense? So there's kind of two paths. There's like the delayed impact path, but then there's also the control path of I've delivered the thing and now I can't decide what the client can do with it. So I don't know if you could just kind of like speak to maybe those two things, if you've got any strategies or tips on on how we can maybe improve that. Yeah, I can see how both can be quite challenging. With the delayed impact, the, the thing that springs to mind is perhaps when you work with that client, if it's possible could you put in markers for can we meet, you know, can we chat again in six months time or in a year to see where we're at? And that could be part of your process, actually. It could be brand, you know, it could be made aware. Branding, for example, is a long term game. So can we put these markers in so that we can discuss it? And then perhaps you will be much more confident about attributing some of that work because you will get that from them. So that's the thing that springs to mind with how you can work with that delayed impact And again, I think that's why it's not black and white. I think you can speak to the nuances a little bit. So in your messaging, you can speak to how it's 
long term, how it's actually holistic. You know, it really does take into account lots of different things. So I think what is important is that you're really clear on what it could look like with the best client. Mm. If the best client takes this branding and runs with it, I'm sure you'll be confident in what it could look like. And I think that's what you've got to connect to. If the best client does everything and and actually map it out, if they take this branding, they use it on every platform, they do X, Y, and Z, then what could that impact look like? And of course, as I said earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be black and white. You, You might not be able to attribute, like you say, to X amount of clients or a certain amount of money, but it's that, it's that growth, isn't it? It's that overall impact. So you can speak to what that could look like. But this is challenging. It's definitely something that's quite challenging when you're working with something that can have that longer impact. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And then just in terms of the control piece, how would you deal with that? Like controlling what the client actually does with the thing that you've created. So like, you know, we could work together, you could create this incredible messaging and then I just don't really use it or I think I'm using it on Instagram, but you see it and you're like, Matt, that's not the work we did together. Yeah, again, a little bit difficult. You're definitely playing with a few different variables here, but that's why I would actually really consider the structure of your offer in the first place. So you want to set your offer up for success really and I think for example you asked about mine I offer really high touch one-to-one support so they're all longer term containers so it's not really just one session and then you go off and do it I help you to actually implement so I've set up my offers that way so that people do learn that process and they get my feedback as we go along so that then they are much more likely to go away and implement that so perhaps when you're thinking about how your offer's working if you keep seeing gaps and and things that aren't quite working and people who are consistently not implementing the branding for example in the way that they should be then perhaps it does need to be a bit more of a hand-holding exercise or the offer just needs to be slightly shaped to help that person to succeed yeah i think we've touched on two key points so far which relate to the theme of this podcast the first one is the courage to be specific and actually go all in on a message which is targeted to your ideal clients. And the second thing that you just mentioned there is the courage to actually put things in your offer that you know are almost like minimum requirements in order for that client to succeed. And this is what I see way too much of. And I used to do in the creative industries, you know, we used to build websites for people and people would say, hey, we need a new website. And they come along and we'd give them exactly what they asked for. But we knew that if we didn't, you know, set up their SEO properly. And we knew that if we didn't do all of these other things, then they probably weren't really going to get the ideal outcome. But because it involved more work and extra cost, and the client was then like, oh, do we really need these things? And we're kind of like, well, you know, it helps. And oh no, we just want the website. So we would then just go and do that thing. And then they would be basically missing a massive opportunity. And I see this all the time in the creative space. And so the question that I often ask people is, if you only got paid when you delivered the dream outcome for that client, what are the things that you would need to do in order to be confident you were going to get paid? And I think that's like a really important question. And like you just said for you, like you could probably charge one-off sessions, you could charge a decent fee and get a nice hourly rate from what you do. And I'm sure people would get value from it. But what you've identified is that it's a long-term thing and you need to hold people's hand through that process to make sure that they actually implement what you're doing with them in the right way. And obviously that means that you charge more money and that obviously means that you have longer client relationships And you might get people saying to you, 
oh, Anna, that's like too much of an investment or I don't want to work with you for that long or I just want to, I just want help on this particular web page or whatever. Like I'm sure you get people saying that, right? But you have to then have the courage to stand your ground and say no, because actually I'm more invested in the result that you're going to get and the possibility than I am just having a new client. Yeah, absolutely. And then feeding all of that back into your positioning. In fact, I think any time that you get any sort of evidence, whether it is people saying, I don't want that level of investment or I'm not ready for that, then I would think, okay, what was it about my messaging that attracted that person? And I know that this is getting into real detail and we can't control all of these different things, but I would always look at that and then think, okay, how can I attract the person who wants to show up and create this result and is ready to put the work in and have their hand held and do all of the things that we want them to do in order to create that result? Yeah. And you're basically in your messaging telling people like who this is for and who it's not for. And then the idea is that when you go on calls with people or when people say, hey, we want to work with you, they're the right fit clients. Definitely. And I think that you can tell as well, because when you get your messaging right and the positioning right, people tend to land in your inbox or, you know, they get straight on the call just to cross the T's and dot the I's. And I think they've already made that decision. They know that they want to work with you. They know what their responsibility is as a client as well. I think that's something that a lot of people miss, but it's super important. Yeah. So basically like what you're doing is you're helping people to get so good at marketing that they don't need to do sales. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah. You've basically just eliminated sales because your messaging is so on point that you're only attracting people that really understand how you work. And it's interesting because we talk often about like the different stages of the decision-making process. And I know one problem that a lot of people face is that they attract ready-to-go buyers, but they attract buyers who are at that stage four where they've done all the research, they've looked in the market, and now they're just kind of looking for the cheapest, fastest best quality option and they they're almost like going and interviewing a bunch of people and the problem with that is they haven't consumed your content and they haven't seen your messaging to take them to that place where they realize they've got a problem and something about the way that you're speaking about that problem really resonates with them specifically and so rather than coming to you and having five or six different options they come to you and they're like Anna you're the only option we want to work with because the way that you talked about this thing totally resonated and no one else is talking about that in that way. Yeah, you're totally right. And I often think about that as well, because sometimes people might actually use the keyword search, let's say on Instagram, that's my favorite platform, but it could be LinkedIn, it could be any other social platform, or of course, Google, we might already be searching for somebody. So then you might actually consume several different people's content and then decide which one you resonate with. And you'll see who is probably going to be the best fit for you. But yes, it can be a little bit more difficult if you're uh, somebody picks several options and they haven't really consumed that content, you then might have to deliver that message on a sales call. But again, I still think it's messaging. It's still getting really confident in that elevator pitch and telling them why you. I think mm. if you've got that confidence, then you'll be able to deliver that wherever you need to. Yeah. And he, almost like going to the extreme, like what's coming up for me is if you were going to do this in a sales way, like I would frame the call like that. And I would say, just to let you know, these are the kind of people that we work with. And so before we get into any detail, I just need to know, like, is that you? Is this the kind of thing that you're looking for? Because if not, then it's probably not much point in us continuing this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And application forms are really great as well. I suppose it depends on what you're doing, but I have application forms for my coaching so that I can gather as much as that, as much of that information as possible. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, cool. So let me, let's see if we can take everything that we talked about so far and see if we can spend 10 minutes just putting it into like a practical example. So I'm going to use my business selfishly because I'm the only other person here. So 
right now, I feel like my messaging is okay. It's attracting like mostly the right kind of clients, but there's definitely a subsector of clients. There's probably 20 to 30% of our clients who are our dream clients. And it's like, everything we do with them is just like gold dust. They just take an insight, they take an idea, they take a strategy, they implement it and their business skyrockets. And that's not to say that they don't have any challenges, but when they have those challenges, they're super coachable and we work through them together, right? So they're not like bringing negativity to the community. They're not like moaning all the time. They're not, they're not stuck in that kind of fixed mindset. So right now, like I've got a lot of content out there and I want to start attracting more of those kind of people. Where should I start? So I would, first of all, revisit the messaging to make sure that it really is speaking only to that highest level kind of client by you've got the evidence so you you know you could go and look at who that person is and really do that work to inform your messaging and and actually I'm a huge fan of being really literal so I would put that back into your messaging you know that you need to do x y and z or a phrase that I quite like to use you know that with the right x y and z strategy whatever it might be your business could be booming your business could skyrocket I think that speaks to that really empowered client Mm. and then I think the approach with the content is to create opportunities for this most empowered client to find you and buy from you. So I actually use content to take my audience along the buyer journey. So if you want to attract more of those people, you want to make sure, first of all, that that message is really specific and it's really dialed in. But then you want to think about speaking to a cold audience with some of your content to attract new people in. So you might use hooks that speak to that broader problem. So it might be, you know, the reason why you're struggling to get your brand off the ground, you know, these kind of like broader hooks that speak to a broad problem. And then you'll capture that person's attention. And I think it is really important that you're showing that you lead through your content, that you're educating, but actually shifting perspective. There's a fundamental difference there. I think if you purely share value, like how to do this and how to do that and three steps to do this, I think that's different to sharing a a perspective shift where you're saying, actually what you're doing isn't creating that result because of this. Here's why this works. I think always speaking to the why is going to be really powerful. And that's when the right kind of people will notice you. So if you've got your messaging nailed, your positioning nailed because of the evidence that you've got and you've refined that, if you then create content that creates those opportunities for that right person to find you by looking at those hooks and using things like reels and using content that you know is going to help you to get more visible, leveraging other audiences, I think that will help you to get more of those eyes onto your content. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And so right now I've got content that I put out on LinkedIn. We've got YouTube, we've got Instagram. You know, our main focus is LinkedIn and then we do long form video for for YouTube. Like one of the things that I'm building right now is is kind of like, um, let's call it like a micro webinar, right? So it's like a 20, 30 minute video that is designed essentially for people who maybe don't know what we do that well and it's something where we could send colder traffic to to kind of introduce them to the concepts and the ideas one of the things that i'm struggling with for that is a hook to actually just describe what this video is about and i think a lot of people struggle with this because it's like the outcomes we create for people are quite broad you know if i look across our case studies and i look across our programs it's like 
we quadrupled our prices. I have way more confidence in the way that I pitch myself to clients. I have more time. I have more time to spend with my kids. Like I work on my business now rather than in it. Like there's quite a lot of things and they're quite broad. Where would you start in kind of like developing that hook in order to really nail down like, right, what we really do is we help people to get this outcome through this methodology in this kind of time. Like, How would you start to quantify it and speak to it in a way that that ideal client's going to go, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm trying to do right now? Yeah, that's a good question. It can be a little bit trickier when you're speaking to lots of different potential outcomes. I would still try and hone in on the biggest problem that it solves mm. and really think about that and speaking to that. You could also, again, to my earlier point, get a little bit specific knowing that it will resonate with other people. So you might speak to high cash months, but that's actually also going to speak to the person who wants more freedom and the person who wants to spend more time with family. So I think you can still play around with some specifics, but I would still always think about the biggest problem and speaking to the biggest desire as well. So the biggest desire is probably going to be part of the process. So it's the thing that allows you to have the time, the money, whatever that might be. So it might be that you're closing the gap, you're helping them to get there faster to wherever it is that they want to be. But I would really think about that biggest problem and really craft the hook around that. But you could also then speak to the coulds. So, you know, you could do this if you want to three times your revenue or whatever that might be. Mm. So you can you can still always speak to those kind of coulds. But it, it would be a case of really probably taking out the key element of this training, the key kind of teaching and really elevating that in the hook. But again, you definitely want to speak to either the biggest problem or the biggest desire. And if the desire does look so different, then I'd really focus on the problem. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I guess the problem is that most people are like stuck in their business and that if they stop working, the business stops working. So that's kind of like the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's like being able to stop trading their time for money kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that could yeah. be a big one, right? So how to stop trading your time for money and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. How to stop trading your time for money so that you can. And then, you know, you, you could try a couple of examples, actually. Yeah, try a couple of different hooks and then just put it out and, and be like, which one of these resonates the most with you? I love doing that. I often ask my audience for feedback on offer names and things like that. Okay, interesting. Amazing. Cool. I've got one... One last question for you, which I'm just curious about. Who have been the people that you've learned from? So either like books you've read, mentors you've had, like how have you got so good at positioning and messaging over the last few years? Yeah, I am a big fan of reading. I studied business and marketing, so I had some level. I did further marketing qualifications and a marketing job, but I actually don't think anything really cemented until I actually started my own business. So I would say I've worked with a, a several coaches and mentors, all of whom I've taken away something really valuable, different, but I've learned from each of them. So I, I tend to be working with a coach or mentor most of the time. So I, I, occasionally I have changed the people who I work with, but all of them have been great because I've taken away something. I yeah, like to read as well. I like to read Seth Godin, all, all of his books and Russell Brunson. I think they're really brilliant as resources. So yeah, lots of reading, lots of courses that my coaches have, a bit of a hybrid approach really. Okay. So it's really just like getting as much knowledge as possible and then just kind of finding the method and the strategy that works best for you. 
yeah and again reconnecting with what I know I'm good at and it took me quite a long time to do that and that's the thing that I really helped my clients with I knew that I could help people with messaging but it wasn't until I did this deeper work that I realized specifically how I help people and how it's actually the skills that I have and the personality that I have that actually help people to do this Mm, okay so it's more about the attributes that you have that maybe other people don't have or just don't kind of articulate in the same way Yeah. So as an example, I've always been really, really highly analytical. So right from school age, I was really good at English literature where I was always analysing. And it wasn't until in the last year or so that I really realised that that is my skill and I can pick out things from my clients because I can analyse and repeat in a a way that actually makes sense to their audience. So I realised that it's not just messaging and marketing, it's actually using the skill. And again, it's helpful with consumer behaviour. If you're really analytical, you can analyze the landscape really well and you can analyze competitors and you can analyze exactly what your ideal client is doing so quite often my focus will I'll always ask the question back what's your ideal client why does this matter to your ideal client if they see this piece of content what do you want them to do what action do you want them to take and really if you put yourself in their shoes I think you can close those gaps much faster Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's like not just the hard things. I think a lot of people, they look at this specific tangible skill set like, well, I'm good at animation. I'm good at film. It's like, yeah, but what are your unique qualities? I remember working with a photographer once and, you know, I said, what makes you good at what you do? And she said, I think it's just my ability to connect with people and help them relax in front of the camera. I was like, okay, cool. Do you think everybody has that? And she was like, no, probably not in the same way. And then, you know, it's, well, the books I've read and my interests in these kind of things. And, you know, I I understand the dynamic between people when they work in corporate environments and how to kind of foster and capture that connection. So when I'm capturing images, like I'm capturing real authentic connections, I'm not capturing like candid poses. I was like, okay, cool. Why are you not talking more about that? You know, because that really is something that not only makes you unique, but is super valuable because we all know that lots of corporates have these stuffy photos that are clearly, you know, not kind of voyeur type photos. They are really literally just so staged in front of like a green screen that it just makes them look ridiculous. So yeah, that kind of idea of really tapping into things that I think people often assume everybody has. So when you say like, I'm analytical, like I think often when they're our own skills, we just assume that everybody has those. Like, oh, everyone analyzes things in this way or everybody looks at things through this lens. But it's like, no, actually that's unique to you. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's going back to the barriers. I think that's the challenge. I think it's really hard to draw that out and highlight that because we're not necessarily aware that that is a strength of ours but it's actually the reason why people pick us Mm. and just kind of going back to that then as a tip you said you're quite practical and pragmatic would you suggest literally just asking clients like why is it that you picked me or like what was it that you enjoyed about working with me over like somebody else yeah that's one of the questions that I ask in my feedback forms and I think it's probably the most useful thing that you can probably gather okay amazing love that Anna, thank you so much for your time. It's been really valuable. And I know that everybody listening to this will find it valuable because I don't think there's many people out there that don't want to attract their dream clients and have people sliding into their DMs saying, how do we work with you? So I know that's going to be really valuable for everybody. I would highly encourage everyone to follow you on Instagram. That's where I came across you. You post a lot. You put out a super amount of value and everything you talk about on there is really practical and really tactical how do people find you on instagram what should they search for 
So my handle is annarumbold.co. That's R-U-M for Mike, B-O-L-D. Okay, amazing. And if people want to interact with you, is that the best place to get you? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I have a podcast as well, but probably Instagram, and then you'll find uh, the link to my podcast as well if you want to give that a listen. Okay, awesome. Is there anything else that you want to point people to or anything else that you want to kind of give away or or say before we wrap up? I would just say, please feel free to come and find me on Instagram. My DMs are always open if you want to chat, have a look at my content. But yeah, equally, I'm always happy to chat. I'm often quite a big fan of going on my stories and offering to give people personalized feedback if they want it. So I'm quite open to helping you. And actually, I'm a big believer in starting people's transformations before they even sign up to work with me. So I'm happy to always give away quite a lot of free value. Amazing. Love that. Anna, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.